Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, May 13th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... The next phase is to take a surgical approach rather than a sledgehammer to this disease. State officials introduced targeted mitigation strategies in counties experiencing high transmission rates. And lawmakers begin the process of appropriating CARES Act funds. Then, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, how a Mississippi restaurant owner is coping with changes while reopening. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Seven counties in Mississippi are now under more restrictions to stop the spread of the corona ni- or the COVID-19 pandemic. During his daily press briefing yesterday, Governor Tate Reeves announced he's expanding social distancing guidelines in Atala, Jasper, Lauderdale, Leak, Neshoba, Newton, and Scott counties. Area health officials say they're experiencing higher rates of transmission. Reeves outlined the extended restrictions in what he calls a surgical approach to combating the coronavirus. It requires all businesses to screen employees for sickness. Face coverings should be worn by all employees in businesses where you are not able to socially distance by six feet apart from your colleagues. Customers of all retail shops are required to wear face coverings in those counties. And masks are required at outdoor public events like flea markets or live auctions. I really believe and I hope that these rules will have an impact, but I also hope that they will serve as a signal to people in these counties. We cannot always see and feel the consequences, but the disease is more active in your county. You need to be even more aware. You need to stay even more sharp. We know that individual action and individual buy-in is more effective than any government order. Please, if you live in those counties, be extra aware of your actions and the risk you face. We have talked about this repeatedly. We believe that the next phase of our fight against COVID-19, and make no mistake, it is a fight. The next phase is to take a surgical approach rather than a sledgehammer to this disease. The seven targeted counties are in a cluster in the east central region of the state. Health officer Thomas Dobbs says these areas, while more rural, are experiencing a higher burden than the Jackson metro area. If if we think about where the action is and where we've been most active in our epidemiology response teams, we break it down into our nine different 
uh, teams throughout the state. And in that part of the state, um, those seven counties plus two additional ones, um, we've in- investigated uh, 2,093 cases. We've done contact investigations and quarantines around th- that many people. That compares to the Jackson, Jackson metro area, including surrounding counties, and they've had 1,949. So in those eastern counties, they have a significantly higher burden of disease, even in the Jackson metro area, including surrounding counties. So that's something that, that's very impressive if we think about it. Dr. Dobbs also explained that communities in the targeted counties have some similar characteristics, including concentrated work areas of living or living quarters. Each of the counties has a unique characteristic that we looked at closely. Um, some of the smaller counties that had a high number, like a high per capita, it was related to maybe like one or two confined outbreaks. So it's not extend, it doesn't go into the general community. And that's one of the reasons from that other metric we were using as far as like the per capita um, that we're addressing in a different manner. The other thing about these communities is there tends to be a lot of um, uh, people working in one location and living in another. They're, they seem to be uh, very well uh, integrated and, and knitted together in a way that, that it made a lot of sense to, to, to um, let them work together. Um, a lot of this information we got from our site visits of the different counties. And so um, <clears throat> there's a cohesiveness between them. But also, too, if you look at the sheer number of cases compared to their population, it, it really is it's a, it's a powerful indicator of additional work needing to be done. One common denominator between most of the affected counties is the presence of chicken processing plants. State officials have said they are monitoring potential outbreaks in the plants, but haven't applied the same criteria for classifying outbreaks there as they have for long-term care facilities. Reeves says the data suggests transmission in those communities is occurring via communal living quarters and transportation. It has been my experience in, in the conversations that we have had Uh, for a number of days, perhaps a number of weeks, with the Coronavirus Task Force nationally. Obviously, um, uh, meat facilities, meat packing facilities around the country uh, have been dealing with with some of the same issues that we are now dealing with. Um, What it seems to be the case is that the spread that occurs amongst the employees of these various facilities while there, I am sure, is some spread inside the plant, the vast majority of the spread, it appears, is actually cur- occurring in what is considered communal living quarters, where a large number of uh, individuals live in very close quarters, not unlike what we saw in New York City when they issued their shelter-in-place order, where you had a lot of people living in very small apartments, um, very close to one another. It seems that the virus is more likely to spread in that setting. In addition to that, they, uh, many of these facilities do run um, vans from these uh, living uh, places, the places that, that these employees live, back and forth to the plant. And many of these vans have large numbers of employees inside them. And so, um, again, I don't know that we have significant evidence that there has been significant transmission inside the plants. 
With community transmission a persistent concern, the Mississippi Department of Health is continuing its aggressive testing strategy. Two one-day collection sites will be available tomorrow, one in Forest County at Vernon Damer Park in Hattiesburg, the other in Union County at the Union County Fairgrounds in New Albany. Anyone experiencing symptoms related to COVID-19 or who has known or potential exposure to someone with COVID-19 is encouraged to get screened by a UMMC clinician today through the UMMC C Spire Health app. Community health centers across the state are also offering free drive-through testing. Today, testing locations will be available in Canton at Mallory's Women's Clinic in Greenville at the Greenville Depot, in Marks at Madison Palmer High School, and in Hattiesburg at the Hattiesburg Family Health Center. No appointment is needed for testing locations provided by community health centers of Mississippi. Coming up, lawmakers begin the process of appropriating CARES Act funds. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. As Mississippi lawmakers work to divvy up $1.25 billion in coronavirus federal relief funds, hospitals and health care providers are seeking help. Members of the Senate Public Health Committee met yesterday to hear requests from health officials as they consider how to appropriate the CARES Act relief funds. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs appealed for more personal protective equipment for health care workers and nursing home staff. One of the things that I do guys want you guys to keep in mind is we still have um, shortages sometimes in nursing homes trying to get PPE. So um, there's a lot of demands on the protective equipment, but our priority has to be protecting people who are taking care of patients with coronavirus. So we know that they need to be protected, and that's going to continue to be our priority uh, you know, as long as we have to until we have more than ample stocks of protective equipment. Um, and then the last thing I have on here is um, a proposed uh, disbursement for the CARES Act uh, funding. Um, and, and I'll just go over it real quickly just by components. You know, a lot of it's going to be direct coronavirus related. Um, certainly we need to have the infrastructure and the staff to go forward to do the contact tracing. Um, right now all the people who are doing the contact tracing and the quarantine work are actually our other nurses, like our family planning nurses, our licensure nurses, our TB nurses, our epidemiology nurses. And one day they're going to have to go back to work. And so we want to, we need to backfill those folks. We've hired some contract folks and everything, but we need to build up that public health team such that if we go through this, this summer, we'll continue to have work to do. But if we get into this fall uh, spike that's been predicted, we have to have the team ready to go. And we got to have, not only will we have this team of, of people trained up and ready to be our nurses, our disease investigators, our epidemiologists that will be this new team, then if we have to beef up that team again with our TB nurses or epidemiology nurses or licensure nurses, we'll actually have double the force that we have now and can hit it even more aggressively. Dr. Dobbs also made a request for funds supporting women and children's health, state labs, and research, specifically on the disparities of COVID-19 in the African-American community. Senator David Blunt, a Democrat from Jackson, asked Dobbs how the Senate should prioritize health needs during the remainder of the fiscal year. What do you think is the most important thing that we can do in the next month 
to, to help uh, respond to the coronavirus? Um, you know, the, the health system worries me in general. Um, they've done such a great job. Uh, most of the testings occurred with private clinics and the community health centers. You know, we've had a big part of it and, and have helped directed a lot of it, but they've done a lot. So, you know, we, we can ride out the bumps, I, I think, you know, through the next few months and everything, but I do worry about, um, you know, some, our, our rural hospitals and our vulnerable. Actually, rural health is actually worse me as much as anything because I think they're most vulnerable. So anything that you can do to help support them when, where they find needs would be important because they've been our conduit to making things happen. Senator Bryce Wiggins of Pascagoula pressed Dobbs on the rising numbers of cases and deaths in nursing homes and asked about the cause of transmission. It looks to me like that the, really starting around April 12th or thereafter, the death in the long-term care facilities is what's really happened. Yes, sir. Relative to prior to that. So since that time, if I'm reading the chart correct, the deaths that we've seen reported have really been coming from the long-term care facilities. So you, am I reading your chart right? What's going on and why? Yes, sir. I think you're exactly correct. Um, and if we look at what happened in other places, um, and if we, if we used Milan as an example, um, what, you, what, what almost certainly happened is it got, it got spread within the, the general community, and then over time it found its way into these vulnerable pockets. And that's kind of what's happened here that we've seen because what, what, as we look more at these, at these long-term care outbreaks, what we see is asymptomatic, and, and part of it's what we've learned about the virus and how important asymptomatic uh, cases are, where we'll find an employee who's asymptomatic um, as, as it evolves and then it finds its way in. So it's, part of it's a timing issue, I think, when, when it gets into the long-term care settings because they've been really pretty, very good for the most part. But once it gets into, once it gets into a nursing home, say, um, the rate of severe illness and death, it just far surpasses. If you look at a county like Scott County, um, where most of the cases are 20, 30, 40-year-old people, they've only had like two deaths for all of Scott County. For all the cases they've had, it might have gone up since then. So really, it's really just getting to that vulnerable, vulnerable population, and it's just taken a while to get there, and a lot of it's driven almost certainly by this asymptomatic shedding where people come into work, or we have nursing home residents who like go for dialysis or go out for something and get exposed unknowingly and bring it back into the nursing home. What about family connections or family transmission? Um, you know, we've so severely limited family. Um, uh, that could be a, a component of it. Um, sometimes they'll come in, but most long-term care folks have not allowed family visitations except for end of life. So mostly it's probably been uh, employees or patients coming and going. Senator Bryce Wiggins is a Republican from Pascagoula. The State Health Hospital Association says hospitals are losing millions of dollars due to the coronavirus pandemic. Tim Moore, president of the organization, is also seeking money from Mississippi's Coronavirus Relief Fund. He estimates they will need about $340 million to have the equipment and staff in place to treat COVID-19 patients through the end of the year. Moore says hospitals have laid off or furloughed 7,500 health care workers statewide. Legislators are in the midst of allocating $1.25 billion in federal coronavirus relief funds. County and city officials also met with Mississippi senators yesterday to discuss unexpected expenses incurred by local governments 
due to the coronavirus. Legislative leaders say some of the coronavirus federal relief money will reimburse expenses already incurred by local governments and other amounts can go toward planning for Mississippi's future needs. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, how a Mississippi restaurant owner is coping with changes while reopening. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. With COVID, we're giving out a lot of information, and sometimes that information can sound like it has all emotion sort of pulled out of it. But I did want to say it is a tough, tough time for families, although for those of us who have not lost loved ones in our family. Certainly, we can't know the full extent of that and all the circumstances around that. But certainly, our hearts go out to you. And, uh, you know, that is a a huge loss. And it's a loss in a lot of ways uh, where you can't uh, participate in some of the activities that you normally could uh, with the celebration of that person's life. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. MPBonline.org is the destination for everything Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Catch up on past shows from Think Radio, check out MPB TV or Music Radio, and become a sustaining member all from one place. Get connected now at MPBonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi dining rooms are back in business after restaurants spent weeks being relegated to drive through or carry-out services. Restaurants are having to adjust dining rooms and protocol to account for the new social distancing measures limiting capacity and spacing between tables. For Shaggy's founder and co-owner Ron Ladner, rebuilding consumer confidence is the key to welcoming back patrons. He shares more with our MPB's Kobe Vance. Well, for us, um, you know, we didn't do much takeout and delivery because we, we, we were so busy on premise. And uh, during season at most of our locations, uh, we'd be on an hour to a four-hour wait. So we really didn't focus that much. We just kind of focused on taking care of the people who, who came in. But uh, we spun up the uh, to-go and delivery business. And uh, it it was working out pretty well for us, actually. Um, we, we were doing, depending on which, which location, anywhere from 25 to 
45% of sales versus the same period last year. Uh, on top of that, you know, we, we made a conscious decision the day we closed to hold on to our management and salary team. So we, we, we have, you know, 40 people, 45 people company-wide uh, that we kept on board. So we really never missed a beat. Um, was that a hard transition to get to the takeout side? No, we just uh, we continue just doing what we were doing. Um, we, uh, uh, we we brought in some online ordering uh, components to augment our software, and uh, it just kind of helped streamline it. But it it just wasn't that big of a deal for us. And um, I know Shaggy's has been a big social place. Is that is um. Is it going to be difficult to focus mostly on just seating and not people being able to get up around, walk around and socialize? The way we're set up, um, I, I think it's going to be fine. It, 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 I think all restaurants are, are, are social, uh, but we, we have people in place that's going to police that, at least, at least for, for now, um, because it's, it, it's, it's part of the executive order. Uh, but we, we, we don't think it's going to be a problem. We, we, we think... Our, our guest understands how important it is not not to break the rules, uh, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure that uh, we're we're abiding by the, uh, the executive order. Uh, now you said policing that. What's that going to look like? Well, we we have a couple people dedicated to doing nothing but going around and sanitizing and making sure people are adhering to the uh, the, the six feet social distancing. Do you think things are going to kick off real quick, or do you think it's going to be more of a slow drizzle back into normalcy? Um, we think it's going to, we think it's going to hit pretty hard, especially for the folks who have the capacity, uh, you know, in, in our Biloxi location, even six, I actually, with our tables, eight feet apart, we can, we're going to be able to seat, uh, 200 people, uh, safely seat 200 people in the sunlight. So we're going to have the capacity we think to, to be at almost full speed. Everybody can be further apart. It's going to be on the same property, uh, just spread out on the deck. And then the uh, last thing I want to talk about is supply chains. Is it going to be difficult to ramp things back up as far as ordering that much food? Well, we, we've ordered uh, this week, and uh, uh, I, I think we're pretty full. Um, we, we're not yet seeing uh, an issue with the supply chain. I, most of the stuff I read, is it's about beef. Um, our cheeseburger is our number one seller, but we're primarily a, uh, a seafood company, a seafood restaurant. So from what we're seeing right now, uh, we, we don't, we don't expect any, any disruptions in the supply chain for, 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 for our, our particular menu. Any things that were difficult during the past few weeks that you're hoping to see changes in, uh, as we re reopen? No, you know, we tried to maintain a good relationship with our employees. Uh, like I said, we, we, we were blessed and fortunate that we were in a position to maintain our entire management and salary staff. So the core of our team hasn't changed. Um, the folks, uh, you know, we, 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 we tried to stay close to our, our employees. Uh, we provided a, a free meal every Friday for our employees and our family. So it allowed us to catch up with everybody and make sure they were doing okay. Um, and bringing everyone back was pretty easy. Uh, we, we, we think we have a, a very unique culture. 
you know, it, it just wasn't that hard bringing people back. We, we, had, we were fully staffed up uh, with, with no issues. Ron Ladner is the founder and co-owner of Shaggy's. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.